You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded on the ancestral home of the Ho-Chunk Nation in Madison, Wisconsin, USA, and on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Melbourne, Australia. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and their elders past and present, and welcome any First Nations people listening today, wherever you are. Today, I've got the amazing Noah Rain with me. Uh, so, Noah... I, I I don't want to read out anything more about you, but I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. And if you and I were sitting down in a lovely wine bar somewhere, having a good chat, well, it's coffee coffee hour for us here in Australia. If we were having a lovely chat and someone came over and said, oh, sure, who's this? I'd say, well, Noah, you can introduce yourself. What would you say? I would probably start with mother um, because it's my proudest. I'm a people geek. I love people. I'm interested in environments. Um, I'm, I'm a super geek. I think I would start with, I probably would start with that. So knowledge is my play space. Uh, you tell me a story, I get super happy. You share a book with me, I feel loved. Um, that's kind of um, me. And I've been working in different, very different organizations. I started in the Scouts and with youth involvement, and that was my passion. And I thought I'd stay there forever and then decided to go into business. And I was a lecturer for 10 years in the at UNSW. Um, in organizational behavior, focusing on ethics. And then I needed to get divorced, so I needed a stable job. And um, I then became head of HR in all sorts of organizations. The last couple of years, I've been focusing on org dev, but I'm very much from an organizational perspective rather than an HR kind of experience. So that's my credentials, as it were. And um, just for, for, for you know, full full transparency, Noah and I have discovered again this morning we've got more things in common, including a love of air supply. We did have manage to have a little sing along this morning. So for those of you who may be of my vintage, air supply was just massive in the eighties. But anyway, enough of that. I think perhaps if we had a couple of wines, our sing it'd be even better. Anywho, I don't need right. alcohol for that. <laughs> No, neither do I. Well, let, let's get into it then, because I think, you know, we, we've, we've been having a lot of fun getting to know each other over the last few months. And, and I think fun is one of the things that's missing from a workplace that is toxic. Where, where I wanted to kick off the conversation, Noah, was let's define toxic. So what is a toxic workplace or toxic colleague behaviour? That's really, um, I said, so when we started this conversation, I went there um, and I thought, we talk, we, we say it a lot. So think about how many times you hear the word toxic workplace or it's said in the news or you speak about it or a colleague says, oh, this is really toxic. And then I thought, what is the word? Like when you think of toxin, what is, what does it, what does the word mean? And the word means poisonous. Okay, and so when when I looked it up because I, I'm a researcher and I look up words, uh, these are the words. So poisonous, venomous. So when I asked toxic, right? So the word toxic, poisonous, venomous, noxious, dangerous. I took out the words I can't spell. Uh, destructive, harmful, unsafe, malignant, injurious, pernicious, environmentally unfriendly, deadly, lethal, mortal, baneful. Baneful is a 
when you hear those words, what action comes to mind? When, when you hear, when, when, if I had said those words, just, just, hey, here's a bunch of words, poisonous, lethal, baneful, what is the action that comes to mind? Yeah, get out. I, yeah I agree, Philippa, get out, back away at, at a rate of knots. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask another question. So um, imagine yourselves on the beach in Sydney today. It's raining, so it would be a different kind of day. But imagine a beautiful day at the beach. You are with your friends and family, uh, people you like. Okay, let's just say that. And you start seeing on the ocean this froth, you know, the icky, disgusting brown froth, like it's... And the kids are finally playing and you finally have five seconds to yourself and you see this froth that they're swimming in. What would you say to them? What would you do? Right out like this, right? And we, I don't know about you. I have this mother stance where you like, I become mm, like this and uh, it's immediate and nobody is confused about my um, body language. Um, would anyone leave them in and hope for the best? Maybe it's just, I call it fish farts. No, no fish farts. You'd get them out for sure. it's not stuff i haven't heard so one of the things is we look at it you go you're in danger out and the interesting thing is if if my friend was standing next to me and said no it's not it's not really it's not dangerous it's just the ocean it does that sometimes which you've all you all must have heard someone say that it's just sometimes this happens on the ocean it's you know it's the muck around it's the fish farts And what would happen to you if your friend was standing next to you and saying that? A good friend, someone you trusted. What would happen to you, do you think? Yeah. You would immediately, even though they said the word fish farts and that sounds strange, right? You would immediately start second-guessing yourself. So your initial movement is, right, out, everyone, now. And then someone says, no, no, in Australia this happens. This happens sometimes, right? And then you'd go, oh, maybe it's not that dangerous, okay, or it's not that bad. Or maybe I'm overreacting. It happens like that. And that's one of the things that if I read to you what toxic means, your reaction is get out now. There's no other option. Like this is unacceptable. A person stands next to you and go, yeah, it's Noah being Noah like that. Or, yeah, there's a few people that have... Yeah, like that. And then you go, okay, so why isn't why aren't they responding like my initial instinct? And immediately that process starts going in. And so what we see in toxic workplaces is we see that there's behavior that's enabled that if it stood on itself in a line in the dictionary, you'd be going, that is a no, right? But somehow in the environment, and I know how, but somehow in the environment, this is enabled. So toxic workplaces are places that are poisonous for people. <laughs> That is that is what it is. It's environments that are toxic. Okay, sorry, poisonous. Um, I want to share with you something that happened. So one when I was teaching at UNSW, uh, one of my roles was to teach at the medical school. So a bunch of beautiful, uh, shiny new doctors. They were all eighteen. That should terrify you because once they finish, they're twenty five. Um, anyway, they were wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful. And one of the um, lessons that they they had to present some um, issues in society that relates to medicine. So they put in front of me two glasses, okay, two cups. One had clean, beautiful water or what looked like clean, beautiful water, and the other had brown water, like it had bits in it, it had leaves in it, and, and they said, which one would you like to drink? And I was like, I know, this one. And they said, yes, we forgot to tell you it has arsenic. Okay. Now, 
what what they were describing was the situation in Bangladesh, if some of you may know about it, it is the um, biggest mass poisoning of a population in history. Do you know who was the perpetrator of this mass poisoning? Some evil corporation, do you think? It was UNICEF. Save the children. So the issue that they had was that there was dysentery. So because of the topsoil and the, the there was dysentery and children were dying one to five. So by no, they weren't making it to five. So they brought in a solution, which is to drill down wells. So they didn't check. And they drilled down into um, a space where it created the, there was arsenic. And through that action, and they went to very poor villages and they created wells. And so now you have the option of either drinking the topsoil water that is um, tox- toxic because it has um, those contaminants or arsenic. Those were the two options given. How does that, so I remember this to this day and they're like, which one would you give your children was the question I was asked. That is what happens when the environment is toxic. You are drinking either this or you are drinking either that. And that is why we feel so strongly, right? Like our body reacts to toxic environments because we are being harmed through the options that are given to us. So so I want to, yeah, it does. So I want to pick up on that word harm and and then safety, but harm first. So, well, in fact, there's two things I want to pick up on. Number one is the, it's it's not that bad, Noah. And for, for those of you who have been in environments, you might actually, your own voice might be saying, oh, it's not that bad. I think this is just me overreacting. I should just get over it. Um, or other people, oh, it's not that bad. There are worse places to work. Um, but, but, Putting, so putting that the the voices the gaslighting voices to one side for the moment, what is the what is the harm that is caused by these environments? Yeah. So so really, what we're describing is environments that are not made for humans, so that humans can't exist in them. And so one of the things, and this is there's a great podcast by Brene Brown uh, with two Dr. Donald Sal and Charlie Sal. And they talk about um, toxicity or these environments as environments that displace and diminish us as humans. So the language is not like, oh, yeah, you know, it's Noah being Noah or that language. It creates insomnia. They said 35 to 55% were um, more likely to be diagnosed with major illness, right? I'm not even talking about the attrition, the lack of productivity, like all of the cost words that we like to use to show businesses it's not a good idea. But we're talking about environments that are harmful to humans. And yes, and I get oh, but you wanted to work in corporate. I'm like, wait, what happened to our imagination? How did we stop imagining workplaces as places that we are allowed to be human in? And I mean human on the not ill, right? Not harmed. Now, when people listen to me, they'll they'll often go, oh, no need to be that dramatic. I'm like, this is research. This is not drama. It is us that when we look and then we go, so how do we go back in on Monday? How do we go back in if what Noah is saying is true? And I want to say, let's think about that. I don't know the answer necessarily, but not thinking about it will not solve it. Yes, that absolutely makes sense. And if I think 
you know, I, I, I keep going, feeling things in my stomach because I think about that Sunday-itis or that, that, that gripping feeling in your gut as you think about the week ahead uh, in some workplaces that I've been in and, and maybe some of our members uh, might have had or are having um, that experience, you know, that Sunday night dread. Uh, and and I, I must admit, I always had a mantra that the, the minute I wake up and dread going to work, it's time to leave. Now, I want to acknowledge that I've also had the choice. I've got the choice. Well, I've had the privilege and the, and the I guess, um, yeah, I've had the choice to be able to do that. Some people don't have that choice. So I think that that first part of recog- number one recognizing toxicity but number two recognizing the harm that it is doing you in the moment but also on a on a long term basis and if i want to so now and i guess in going down that that path noah is it um so let's talk about the, the culture, the system versus the individual behaviour. So we can have toxic systems of work. And my first thing is, well, so what do I do about that? I'm a leader in an organisation. Tell me what to do about that, Noah. Um, and I know that you want a more, I, I want you, you want people to think a little bit more deeply before they act. So, so I, I, I do, and I don't want them to think and never act because I don't have that in me. Like I can't go, think, oh, I think I'm done now. Now let's go watch Netflix. Like I don't, that's not how. But the not thinking means that I am not able to identify scripts. So let me take a step back, right? Every single one of us has built a life around a narrative or narratives, okay? So let me give you an easy example. So my background is Israeli Jewish, uh, we solve things with chicken soup. There is nothing I cannot solve with chicken soup. I want to say this is a f- well-known fact. The thing that was funny was I have never, ever thought about chicken soup as not as a fact. Like it's a fact. Like if you have the flu, you get well with chicken soup. And then my beautiful next door neighbor, when we moved to Australia, she was sick. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get you chicken soup. That was what I said. And she just looked at me. She said, why, the, why would I need chicken soup? I went, what do you mean? I stopped in my tracks. No one had ever asked me that question. And she said, what's chicken soup got to do with it? I'm like, how have you gotten well in the past? Right? Like I, I was absolutely incredible. I still made her chicken soup because the facts don't matter, right? And so what that did was it identified a story, and this is an innocuous story. This is just this, of how do you get better well with chicken soup, right? And then you've got the stories of what's a good mother and what's a good partner and what's a good employee and how do you, how are you strong? So by the way, we're strong because we're silent and complacent. And I'm like, no, I think I have a different story for strong. But the, but seeing the narratives enables you to choose a different behavior. So the thinking is around who am I? What am I listening to and not responding to? Uh, what are the little voices that I'm like, oh, yeah, but it's just one. I keep getting told that I'm the only one. Why is it just you? I'm like, why is the word just before you? Right. So these are curiosity moments where I'm like, why are we saying just to that? Should we be taking note of what they're saying? What is that saying about our culture? 
Once I've sat in that and expanded so you can hear a process of expansion, what I ask people to say is now what choices are now available to you that you couldn't see before? So as leaders, if we continue in the same script of if I now take time to look at my gender pay gap, that will create problems. That will stop our commercial capability. We must not stop ever because, you know... And I'm like, do, are they really either or? Have we made that up? Or maybe we can do both, right? And what that enables us to do is go, oh, okay, so let's be commercially, you know, challenging the world, um, but also being good in the world. How do we do that together? And that doesn't happen unless you stop and think. What do I do as a leader? One is I create spaces of thinking about the great questions, And then think who is in those spaces and who isn't. How have I designed? Like, are the, is it just managers? Am I bringing in experts? Am I listening to everyone? Um, is it safe enough? Are they actually speaking to us? Um, that the, the ability to create environments that think and then create action. I think it's a very powerful change. You actually don't have to change the whole system. You have to expand it. It's quite topical because this week in Australia, is it's Are You OK Day, has been Are You OK Day. Now, I've seen a lot of narrative around it on the socials this week and and a lot of it not very complimentary because it's, you know, oh, yeah, great, thanks for, thanks for giving us a day where we wear a T-shirt, get some cupcakes, and for one day a year, the manager or the company actually cares about my mental health. And so, so that's, you know, one extreme. And the other, the other side of it is, which I'm interested in your view is, is, are these days, um, whilst an activation and one day of the year does not solve the problems for the other 364 days a year, is it trying to help? Hmm, that's leading a leading question. But is it making us stop and think more deeply about should I be thinking more deeply every day about are people happy in my workplace? So I think that's true um, about the process of mindfulness and thoughtfulness in general in our day-to-day. And a lot of the work that I do, I work with Finder, and a lot of the work that I do is around giving pause spaces. And again, I'm very action-oriented, but if we don't pause, we're not enabling thinking, right? And so my question is, and I'm a strong supporter of cupcakes, just in case everybody takes this the next sentence the wrong way, is the are you okay cupcake giving us pause or just giving us sugar? Because sugar is good. Like no one is against sugar. I'm celiac, by the way. I would like to have more celiac cupcakes. But um, is that a moment where we pause and think before we take a bite or is it just a cupcake? And so I would love the cupcake to involve a conversation. And I do think there is a moment for nuance in these conversations because um, I'm an organizational psychologist in my training, not a clinical psychologist, but to come at mental health and say, we want your whole self to work at work. Are you are workplaces really ready to deal with the complexity of mental health? Like, would you, if my, my daughter just broke her wrist, would you go, yep, yep, we've got a mental health, we've got a wrist representative. They will just like, they've had, you know, they've read an internet thing. Uh, go, go fix your wrist with them. We would never do that. So I think recognizing what space we are making, we want to talk about it. We want to make... But maybe not every space is where we talk about it. Maybe the cupcake is to acknowledge that it's important to have 
in our space, but maybe it's not a cupcake conversation. Maybe we say there's an EAP. Also, the PNC have done some work to um, create um, allies in this place or here's how you can reach out anonymously to get um, support. Make it a start. But if it's where we stop, if the cupcake is where we stop, if the T-shirt is where we stop, I think we're missing the opportunity. Yeah. And and I suspect um, that that's that's where a lot of this narrative has come from. You know, you, we have this one day a year, and then you forget about it the rest of the year. A little bit like International Women's Day. So, so I think. But um, and I suppose before we talk about uh, go to the next piece, which is I want to talk about women who are in workplaces who are experiencing that toxic workplace. I want to I want to talk about I, I just come back to language again and the polite language we use. Um, so there's two things that that came out of what you just said around you know bring your whole self to work and Mel and I have talked about authenticity, which is a an overused word and 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 we've recognised and I certainly recognise that sometimes my authentic self is actually not what people need and I won't be in service of the people around me if I'm my authentic, grumpy, irritable, um, forthright self. So sometimes I have to be a version of myself in service of others. Um, so I think it is what is it that we can do and again pitched at the the folks on the call who got leadership responsibilities. What can we do to get real with our language around this stuff? It's it's interesting that we're challenged by the concept of real, right? So I think I think the question is there's two elements to it. One is boundaries and the other is debate. So if I forget one of them, remind me because I forget everything. So the first one is boundaries because to be real, I need to choose what I'm sharing in this space. So I talk with my kids about almost everything, really, like we have quite open conversation, but I always remember that that I'm their parent first. I'm not their friend. Um, I would like to have friendly experiences with them, but I'm not their friend. So I put on a very boundaried hat, even though it's quite expanded, right? If that makes sense. And the thing with boundaries is you often don't know that you've hit a boundary until you've hit it. Okay. So it's messy. So boundary setting is messy. It is not an experience. So I will say something and you'll go, oh, no, that's cultural appropriation. And all I will do is apologize and ask for you to teach me, right? Like that's what I will do every single time. But if you delete me the first time I hit a boundary instead of converse with me, then we have really unsafe workplaces, but also very limited. Like I can't learn anything. Like I'll tell you heaps of Jewish stories because that's what I know, (laughs) but I don't think they're the most important. I think they're one type of story. They're the stories I know. And so the other part that I encourage, highly encourage is the ability to debate. And the interesting thing about debate is it's not about not making mistakes. It's about believing in the power of ability to heal. Okay. So if you and I have a conversation, you go, you're, examples are really really triggering and I correct I'm sorry please tell me how it would be better right I trust in our relationship that we have the ability to heal once we've hit that right like so once we've hit that boundary how many of you can say that in your organizations that the first time you hit a skid mark and you you know you hit it people will respond with hey just want to have a chat 
that was a bit hard for me. Here's why. Love your work. And then we continue on. How many of us can say that about our organizations? We are so risk averse. We are so get it right the first time. Like I've been using the word Chinese whispers because it's what I, in Hebrew, it's called broken telephone. Um, but apparently that's the wrong thing to say. Then I said in the US, I said, we don't understand that. That is an Australian, right? And I don't mean to be appropriating. I just, that's the term that is used in Australia. Now, let's have a conversation. Teach me what to say. I'll say something else. Um, so I think the process of becoming boundaries is something that we should practice and also be aware that it is messy and requires debate and, and a process of um, healing. I don't think those exist. I, I, I Sorry, they are rare. My apologies. Those are rare. And this space, I think, is very much encouraging of debate and a bit of messiness. Hey, um, so a, a question that, that's been posted to me is... I've left, I've just left a toxic workplace and I left because I could and that was my choice, but now I'm job hunting. What do I need to look out for? How do I, how do I find a healthy cup? What are the questions I ask? What are the flags, the you know, red, green and orange flags I need to pay attention to before I sign up to another workplace? That's such a great question. Um, it's really interesting because it feels like, when you're interviewing, it's like dating. And so if there's a red flag on the date, you should just leave now. Like don't even just pay for the drink and leave, right? Because if you're showing a red flag in that moment, if someone is being offensive or, you know, derogatory or that, you just leave, right? Um, so I think you'll know that in the interview. I don't think people have a problem identifying that what you just said is um, like, one of the questions I ask managers when uh, I said, how do you deal with the performance management situation? And if they come from control straight away, their employees are like this and I'm like, mm, red flag. So I get curious and I check, but that's a red flag for me because if you're coming from an attitude of control and demean in an interview, I probably don't want you to work for my organization, right? The problem you have is that it's often masked. It's often people are telling the story that this is a great workplace, but actually when you come in, you go, where's the great? When you said great, you meant what? And because we've adapted to our scripts. And so we know that, for example, um, organizations that um, everybody wants to work in, so SpaceX, Facebook, I don't know if you want to work at Facebook, but, you know, the big organizations Often people will leave because the toxicity is inbuilt into the, um, we are a challenging organization. We work, you know, 70,000 hours a week. Um, you have to decide in advance wh which story you want. The story where you're going to give your life away to an organization with the hours because you want the challenge or not. So it's, it's again, once you get there, it starts becoming colorful. So I don't know that you can in I don't know that you can in an interview hands down say this is the wrong place. Um I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm open no, yeah, and, the and, derogatory, the you know I agree. I think, you know, it is when you think about dating, um, yeah, you're right. You, you once you get to know, you know, what is it? Familiarity breeds breeds contempt, but um, you know, perhaps perhaps there's some of that. Well, I think that's a good segue then to what does she do? If she can't leave, you know, she can't leave. So how, how do I survive? If So I've recognised I'm in a toxic workplace um, and it might not be the whole workplace. It might be just my area, whatever it might be. But I feel 
like I can't leave. So number one, what steps do I take to stop myself from incurring further harm? So I don't think you can stop. I think you can limit. Again, we'll go back to the ocean with the icky stuff. The icky stuff is there. You can try and close your mouth so that not much comes in, but you're swimming in icky, right? So this is my professional language I'm sharing with you today. Um, So I, I think we start by accepting that we can't. If you're in an environment that is toxic, and, and you are unable to step outside that ocean, I don't think you can stop it. What I think you can do is lower the harm that it has to yourself and expand your options so that you are more powerful. Okay. And I'll talk about the system after this, but let's talk about individual. So uh, the first thing is start with a conversation with yourself that's compassionate. And I'm not using this in a, I, I use compassion as a strategy. Because my go-to is judgment. Like you, you like I fall. I'm like, can you just walk? Can you just walk? Is walking not an option for you? Like that's what my head does immediately, right? So for me, compassion is something that I choose. So the first thing is you start with it matters. I want to hear that voice in your head going, this matters. This moment, this experience, it matters. That friend, the friend that goes and stands next to you and says it's fish farts, kudos to them. But that, that's what I'm experiencing matters. Um, if there's a just, take the just out of it. Uh, downplaying your experiences really harms and really enables the system. But it so self compassion and saying the sentence it matters. And, you know, taking going where where it comes. The other part is name it. So a lot of the work I did in ethics is language. So the language we choose to describe something. So the person i can't remember her name right now i've got it written down that created the word sexual harassment was in 1975 before that there was no concept for sexual harassment you couldn't organize around it because the word didn't exist okay so naming what has happened to you in a nuanced way is very very important and not just going i'm upset i'm sad i'm tired it's um i'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling attacked or, you know, so actually naming it and writing down. So it's through the reflection process. Um, I do, this one was, it was hard for me to explain. So I challenged the framing and the agenda. So I'll give you an example from my daughter was in year one. She came home one day and she said, um, Max spit into my mouth. I'm like, amazing, amazing. This is so good. Okay, so I go back to the playground the next day. I go, Mr. S was her um, teacher. Apparently, Max um, um, spit into my daughter's mouth yesterday. And he goes, if that had happened, that would have been terrible. And I'm like, if that had happened? we don't do things like that. If that happened, that would have meant that. And he went on this, if that would have happened. And I'm standing there going, I I just described the situation to you. So Mr. Mr. S, okay, had changed the framing of this conversation. I said this happened and he changed it. Okay, so when I was in a, I was in a toxic environment and I voiced it, one of the leaders said to me, tell me what you would like me to do. And I said, I would like you to hear what I'm saying as if it actually happened. And he said, what do you mean? I said, okay, so I've described these behaviors. So lying, deceit, you know, and your response is if that had happened. And I said, let me flip it. Assuming it's truth, what would your action be? And he said, oh, there's only one action. 
this this leader has to go. I'm like, thank you. Do you see that in that moment? It didn't have any impact. I was the one that left. It did have impact, but you know, I was the one that left. But in that moment, I flipped the script. I'm like, no, we're not going to do the if then. This happened. What would your action be? Now, choose yours, but um, I wanted to suggest that choose um, challenge the frame. Uh, the next one is document. Um, we often say that in HR, and yes, there's an element of fact. I do want to say that the biggest aspect of it is actually so that you believe it, so that you have a place where you can anchor yourself and this actually happened because often organizations are geared to then say, oh, there's two sides to every story, which is true, but I want you to be able to um, give language to your part. Is um, uh, The other one is choose who you listen to. Pick your, pick your friends or pick your people that you're listening to. Um, not everyone will um, accept the framing that you have and you are allowed to pick who you listen to. This is hard. And so picking your allies in the sense of if, they, if they're saying fish farts or, you know, Noah's just being Noah or that, maybe they're not the people that you need um, in that moment to be in your space. And Which I think is, that's, I think that's a, a, and considering what we stand for here in a career that soars, that is, for me, that is find your safe space and find those people who are going to support you without judgment because it's it's hard to show up day in and day out and try to justify the harm that's being done to you. Um, it, so, hurt. it, it hurts. Hurt. It hurts that something bad has happened to me and I now have to spend energy justifying it it blows our minds. Um, I spoke to a young man who, in his words, was being groomed and the language of other people around him. So the parents responded really well and supportive. The language around him was what hurt him the most, was the diminishing language of his experience. Um, and so this is this is really important. So choose who you listen to and who is in your environment very much as a protective mechanism. It also enables you to find your courage and your, you know, your action in, in your time. Um, so it's a very big one. Let's flip it to the leader's role. So she's a leader of people and 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 can observe, and because of power imbalances and what have you, she can see that the environment is unsafe, is harmful, is toxic. And for, for whatever reason, she's saying, well, okay, we can't move right now, but what can I do to keep my people, the people that report to me that I'm in charge of, uh, as in their well-being, what can I do to keep them safe? What should I be doing as a leader? So again, this is an interesting dynamic because you as a leader is also a person that is now putting yourself in an unsafe situation. So we've, we're going from, okay, we have an individual in my team that is unsafe and now to protect them, I then have to become unsafe. Like I'm choosing to put myself at risk. And that's a moment in itself. And I think that's a moment that we need to take and notice. Um, and you too need to start finding your allies, getting your language, doing, doing all of that. I think you, you gave an example of I'm a leader that wants to protect. What if you're a leader that is creating harm? Okay, so there's also there's, there's kind of both. And in both of these for different reasons, I call it find your other Okay, so one of the issues with stories is you can't find them without the other. So without my friend who was not aware of the remedies of chicken soup, 
I would never have known that this is not a fact. Now, you guys are laughing, but seriously, it was not on my radar, right? And so finding your other is really important. The concept of blind spots is in the name. You're blind. You're not unintelligent. You're not a bad person. You're not unmotivated. You're blind because you can't see it. So an other would be the person that goes, hey, so you know how you promised to be that kind of a leader? We're we're, we're leaving that path. How do we get back on it, right? Someone who can call you on your own bullshit. Absolutely, right? Like call you on your own bullshit um, as well as be a compassionate partner because this is going to be a hard road. Systems want to stay very much in their own lane. This is not going to be easy. If So if you are the one creating harm, get your other and get your other to help you through it uh, and stop. But also if you are protecting others, find your other so that you have an ally within um, that, that helps that. Well, I think it's a really very strong call to action there around the power of to stop, breathe, reflect as leaders, am I still being the leader that I want to be? Am I? Um, you know, what, what's got me here may not get me there. Are, the, are my behaviours still serving me and those that I lead or do I need to stop? That? Yeah, bottom, bottom line is we've got to stop and reflect. Who are we right now? Yeah. That's the, the, the second action, which is an always action. So, again, uh, and this is not just me, the top leaders um, always speak about reflection as their most powerful tool for leadership. So when I um, start my leadership um, programs, it's always with reflection. The first thing we do is learn to reflect because the reflection is the ability to create meaning from action. So if you're walking a path and you're walking forward, you can't you can't make meaning. You make meaning when you stop and look back and make connections to things. So the things that we missed will often come back and be available to us when we reflect on them. That's how it is. You, that's, that's why it happens in the bathroom because we've got not, hopefully you've got nothing else to do in the bathroom. And then you're just, you're sitting there and you're making connections in your mind. So the reflection practice, the reflection is a practice, but also being able to reflect and sit in discomfort. So that moment when I realized that I was not the parent I was wanting to be, in a very complicated situation was not a moment of joy that I can share with everyone, right? It's not an Instagrammable moment. If I wasn't able to sit in the discomfort and just expand it and figure it out and get curious, um, I wouldn't have been able to choose. So reflect and practice discomfort and find your other, other two actions. The, The last one, and this is a design principle. So I work with design principles. Notice both action and inaction. Okay, this is really, really important. So behavior is created both, sorry, culture is created both by things we do and things we don't do. So Australian culture, apparently most, you don't speak about, what is it, Um, politics, religion, and sex at the table. And my family doesn't even know what you would talk about if you're not talking about all of those things. You you, Come on over. (laughs) Um, And... Part of the fact, like I was actually stunned when I was told that because I came from Israel and I I actually don't know where you would talk about it if not at the dinner table. And so noticing that that conversation isn't happening is a big deal. And that's kind of what 
I'd like us to notice. And that only happens through diversity. So bringing weirdos like me, I, I like my weirdness, but I'm still very strange in the Australian workplace. I'm a psychologist. I do behavior design. I'm Israeli. I'm a woman. I talk with my hands. But that diversity doesn't mean you have to accept everything I say, but I'm introducing ways of thinking that will expand our options. So notice action and inaction in the spaces that you're in. Who are we not hearing? What are we not addressing? Have we done a pay, pay gender pay gap you know, um, assessment recently? Things like that. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. Let's get back to our individual woman now. So, and I want to challenge the notion that you can't leave. And then I'm going to hand it over to our members because I know we've got questions. How do we help her recognize that she has to leave and she has to garner the courage to do that? I'll challenge the language because it's a language of care. So what I've heard from you is I care about you. So you need to leave, leave the ocean, get out, stop, stop swimming in the icky. The challenge I want to say is I want that to be her choice as well. So one of the things that happens when we're in um, toxic environments is that we feel we have no choices. And then our friends say, but you have to leave and you have to go. And why are you still with him? Um, you know, and all of those kind of questions. What I want to say is, I'll sit with people and I'll say, let's look at it. I want you to see the ocean. I want you to see the ickiness. I want you to see that you are able to swim in both directions, right? It's a process that people need to feel strong enough and not they're failing yet in another thing. So because I'm not leaving and a lot of my friends looking at me and I did leave a toxic marriage and I have left toxic workplaces, they look at me and say, but we're not you. And that is not a good start because you were never me. So how can, how have I become your anchor? It was always you. So it actually is a process of strengthening through thinking, through opening and sitting going. So what is this doing to you? When was the last time you slept? How is this impacting your kids? You know, like, and not in how does it impact your kids leave? Like, those are genuine questions that we ask, right? And through that discovery, people will find that their feet can paddle them out. Uh, I also do things like let's start planning. Let's get your CV ready. Let's get LinkedIn ready. Let's figure out, you know, a plan. Um, do you have bank accounts? Like what, like, you know, how's your superannuation? Like we do all of the planning so that when they hit the shore, right? You can stand up and walk. So it's kind of a combination of those things. So 
I think notice your care language and notice that care is often a process, not a one action outcome, right? I do think you can't swim in the icky without getting sick. I, I, I don't think there's another answer to that. So I, I totally agree. Um, now, members, I, I could keep asking questions for hours, um, but over to you. What's, what's on your mind around, well, what's on your mind? Open for questions, folks, either in the chat or uh, feel free to hands up or take yourself off mute. Over to you. Thanks, Noah. Uh, Dion here. Um, uh, very, very uh, resonating conversation for me. Um, my question is a simple one. Where do you start in an organisation? Like where do you start, particularly if it's, if it's quite pervasive? I start with imagination. I kid you not. I start with imagining our organisation where it's the organisation we want it to be. Um, I think, so I talk about two big problems um, when, when it comes to leadership. One is discipline, so being able to execute on the things you've decided to do. So I decide to go to the gym by getting a gym membership is not the same as going to the gym, so the discipline. But also imagining myself healthy imagining ourselves as a thriving place is probably things that we don't know how to speak. So what what we know is that human beings accept the environments that they're in. That's what we are. We're adjustable, right? So which is why we've gotten to the places we've gotten to. Um, and so imagining a space that isn't this is actually not an easy thing. So I start with imagining. What would it look like if we were proud? What would it look like if we were thriving? And I spend some time there because people, once they're like, oh, we can see it, they start walking and then they start going, that's a really strange thing to do. Why aren't you paying women equally? Who who, who did that? Um, but you don't get that action unless people can see a different environment. My boys can't even imagine a world that women aren't strong leaders with equal pay. But that's the, like they were, they grew up with me, right? It's not the environment I grew up in. So do you see, like, we imagine a future that is healthy. I refuse to accept the toxic workplaces because I work in corporate. I, I, I refuse to stop imagining. So I would, I would genuinely start imagining. Well, is that from a practical perspective, just to build on what Dion said, mm -hmm. is that, again, I'm coming back to take time, make space. As individuals, we need to stop, breathe and reflect. But as leaders, give our people time to stop, breathe and reflect um, and innovate because innovation is just not the next, you know, it's not the next right. yeah. Apple iPhone or whatever. It's actually how to make a workplace that works. And I wonder if that's, is that where you think, like, let's, pick, let's stop breathing but also imagine what good looks like, then know where we are and try yeah. and then work towards, you know, building, you know, mapping the delta. And, and imagination is a practice, okay? So one of the things that happens to us, and you all read it, right? Like anyone who's on LinkedIn or on Instagram, or like, I had an accident and I stopped and my life, you know, and, you know, like, like those moments of crisis, right? And I've had breast cancer and I've had tragedy and I have stopped, but I don't want, and obviously the reflection happens then, but what if we had environments where imagination and checking in with are we creating the future that we want is constant. Now, we call it strategy, right? We got, No problem. But are we starting strategy with imagination? 
And the big companies, sorry, the companies that do um, really creative work, so Pixar and, you know, we can say whatever you want about Netflix, but they are very creative, right? They they build imagination and the uh, imperative for imagination into the workforce, right, into the program. I think we should imagine the work experience, and I then should check in whether our imagination, are we going to get there? And the fact that we're not there yet is not a reason not to start walking. My daughter needs to walk into a, a workplace that honors her, challenges her, does not see her boobies as a way of stopping her you know, brain because it's never been true. I want that for her. So I will do that in my praxis in every day. So I, I feel it's a very operationalized thing. We, we should have imagination spaces in our organizations. Love it. Great question, Dion. Thank you. Philippa? Um, this has been really powerful and I've written heaps of notes. Um, I, th- I think one of the things that I reflect upon is um, I didn't do it alone as a leader. So I love, I have always loved working with great HR people because they protect me as much as they um, enable me to create strategies to support who else um, in the context of the workplace would you suggest a leader surrounds themselves with in terms of roles and functions? Because I think as a as an operational leader, I think you can't do it alone. And I just wonder if you've thought about that. A hundred percent. I, I um, one of the workplaces I left, um, I had a beautiful colleague, like beautiful in every sense, right? Um, and I kept thinking that had he not be there, been there, English, been there, I would not have been able to be as successful as I was. And this is not in a put down. Like I brought all of my sparkle, right? But he went, what she said, we need to listen, right? He, he did an action, which is, wait, she's speaking. Like he, 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 and we're talking operationally. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I don't mean personally. And every time that kind of we met in a place of, I'm like, dude, you promised. He's like, I promise. Let me get back to you. And he did not love those moments. Okay, those were not. So I think it's less of what role, and the higher the better. Always, the more power, the better. It's the mindsets, and it's the people who see what you're trying to do. So the people who join your imagination, they join your cause. Hi, puppies. Oh, hi, child. Hello. Uh, um, so that's kind of where I, I would go with it, um, is roles, the higher, the better. Um, I think major systemic change has to start from very high um, and putting it power to the people, yes. but Thanks, Philippa. Trina, over to you. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I really enjoyed um, all of, uh, all of this. I took a lot of notes, and I, I like the questions coming from um, the members. And I'm happy to see one of my colleagues and friends join, Leanne. Um, so she's joined us uh, at a career that soars. I have a question. Um, so one of the things that um, I I think a prospective employer could see written all over my face is like the PTSD of having to deal with this trauma. So how do you kind of relax and say that not, you know, it's kind of like you've gone through this very bad relationship and you're going, as you said, to date again. How do you ensure that you don't carry that trauma into your next um, job or your next organization with that level of distrust? Um, Um, Again, I would challenge the premise of the question. 
Um, the word I love, uh, I was given it by my psychologist, so I will give it to you. Um, it's called integration. Okay, I love that word because it's not instead of. I am not not part of the experiences I've had, um, and and part of the one of the reasons I'm overwhelming to people is some of the things that I've gone through are quite challenging, right? And so minimizing my experiences in a room to make other people comfortable is something that I'm very familiar with. Now, I don't think that every room needs to hold all of my experience, right? But what I want to do is integrate all of those experiences, honor them, and say, how should they show up in this room to be of service, does that, does that make sense? So I try and, and enter rooms to add value. And sometimes, seriously, sometimes it's me being very quiet. <laughs> and that is not quiet out of fear. That is quiet out of the service I can give you now is listening. Or the story that I have doesn't have to come out now. But I integrate who I am. I honor the challenges if you have PTSD or going through something that challenging, I don't think you have to smile and wave. I don't. And it may be that someone else has to enter that room with that person because you can't be the value that they need today. But my suggestion to you is really try work for integration. It's quite quite the process. Um, and, and honor everything that you're going through. Such a great question, Trina. Thank you. And thank you, Noah. Leanne, over to you. And welcome. Hi. Thank you. Um, so to follow up with um, Trino, what if it is that you have to stay in the toxic environment, whether it's for financial reasons, etc., and you try not to let it impact upon your personal life or your health, what kind of coping mechanisms would you suggest to the person who has to stay until something better comes along um, and not have it you know, become detrimental to them. So I think I think the answer to that again it depends. Every situation is different. And um, do you have colleagues in the workplace? So is it pockets? So is it a pocket that you have to? And you go into a room, you go deep breath. I'm going to get through this. You know, and and you you pocket it, right? It's a pocket, or is it pervasive? Is it everywhere? Do you never? Is it relentless? Uh, if it's relentless. If it's relentless, again, I would sit and I would ask you the questions of of the icky. What is it? Name it. What are you going through? Is the belief that you can't leave an accurate belief? It might be hard to leave. It might be complicated to leave. Is it true that you can't? Would be my questions, right? Um, a lot of work on separating um the way they see you and the way you actually are. So one of the things when you are in toxic relationships, you start accepting the the, the way others see you. It, we're social beings. We walk into a room, people start giving you like, you're a mother if you're in a parent-teacher co- conference. I'm not just a mother, but, right, like you get positioned. And so what I'd like for you to have is areas of your life that are very clearly other, right? Like that give you a sense of self that is very strong. I would like to say if you're spending eight hours a day in a certain environment, it is very hard to push that. Do hobbies, things things that make you uh, joyous, um, engage with community, have lots of social spaces where you are loved and accepted and 
you know, celebrated. Um, it's actually offsetting. We hear about, you know, carbon offsets. We've got to have toxic workplace offsets. So I, I totally get where you're coming from, Leanne, and your advice is fantastic, Noah. In my own experience, um, two things that I did, I made sure that work wasn't my only basket in my life because I did have a massive crash um, and when work was off kilter because I had no other outside interests, it my whole world crashed and I learned from that, which was to – so I started getting involved in sport again and other things. And to Noah's point, places where I was valued, respected and celebrated. And I, I put more energy into being into those, in those environments than I – frankly, than I put into the environment that was causing me harm. From a leader's perspective – the last time I was in that situation was that, and I'm going to use a culturally inappropriate term because I used to say it and I now know it's not on, but I said to my team, righto, we are in a toxic workplace that is not going to change because we've got massive leadership issues. I'm circling the wagons, which I know is a very bad expression. I'm I'm putting a protective barrier around all of us. Here are our tactics. I want everyone to work from home or wherever they feel comfortable and safe whenever they want to. I want us to come together as a group of 12 humans once a month for three hours to check in on, are we okay? And really have, like, we didn't talk about work. We talked about I used to do this exercise called Mad, Sad, Glad. What's making me mad today? What's making me sad today? What's making me glad today? And get and we would all do that just as a way of just connecting as humans to give offset the, the crap that was going on in the workplace. So I think this, to Noah's point, find things that can offset the crap until such time as you can leave the crap, but also for the people around you. Find ways to create, again, those spaces for us just to, be and be great humans together and build up some of that resistance to the to to the harm and the toxicity yeah the, the i think the revolution is in the not accepting the narrative but you can see me going mm, so that's there's effort around there where i'm pushing it off i want you to be an environment that the things that are coming in you don't need to put effort in pushing off and so there's an element here, again, of it will strengthen you. If you have community, if you have um, other areas, it will strengthen you. It will not solve the problem that you're constantly doing that, but it will definitely um, and, and make notes so that you don't think you're crazy. Like this is very, very important. Make notes and then leave them, right? Like make notes and then move to your other environments. I think that's a really important one again. Let's not gaslight ourselves, folks. We can, you know, that story we tell ourselves, oh, it's not that bad. It's, I think it's just me. I must set people off in that way, blah, 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 blah. So let's not gaslight ourselves. Let's be really clear about that language and, and write it all down. Irma. Oh, beg your pardon. Mm. Just Michelle, sorry, Michelle. If you set people off, again, let's go back to, okay, so I set you off, so let me solve it. So let, everything that we do as humans, right, is usually learnable. So if I'm doing something and I there's nothing that I should should be attributed to me and then me taken down, okay? We're humans trying to do good work in complicated environments. Now let's let's you know let's engage in messiness, and so um, ask ask for people to teach you and not accept the label that. Why do you have to be, I get it a lot. Why do you have to ask so many questions? Like, how else are you curious? I don't know how to be curious if I don't ask. <laughs> but how do you ask so many questions? It's actually a label. It's not seen as a genuine curiosity questions. It's seen as a label of troublemaker, potentially. Irma, over to you. 
Um, I really love the points that you made um, because I was thinking more from a point of view of an ally. Because sometimes it's not actually happening to you, but it could be happening to a colleague. Or as a leader, I, I like the points that you made on what you can do to bring everyone together and say, this is what we can create since I am not the leader who's creating this environment, but I still want to protect you. Sometimes it could happen to a colleague. And so you don't have the ability to go to a leader and say, hey, you're doing these things to my colleague because I don't think it would be appropriate to speak on somebody's behalf. But to be able to be an ally to that person and say, these are some of the things that I've learned. And and especially if they have if they feel safe sharing those experiences with you. So I, I was listening more from the point of an ally and how you can help others um, get to a better place and a safe place. So I really like that. And I think, again, honoring the specifics and the uniqueness of each situation. Sometimes I can be a voice for you but I shouldn't assume that you want me to, if that makes sense. So sometimes because I'm removed, I'm not the person that this is happening to. You can speak on my behalf. A, ask for permission, right? Don't do anything that is toxic yourself. Um, But also that's what happens with voice, right? Voice means that we are raising our voices and we are like the woman that created the... um, sexual harassment word you know why she did it she did it because her all her students in her I think it was a journalism class had were describing that they were being sexually harassed like they were being um, treated in that way in the workplace and she said every single one is an individual we have to have a word so she became a voice right and so don't underestimate your ability to also be a voice but do check in and make sure you're honoring the person's uh, place and process we are out of time. In fact, we're out of out of time. <laughs> really, truly, Noah. I, I just want to sum up briefly. We we talked about using the right words. Let's move beyond the superficial. Let's move beyond polite words and really use the right words to describe the harmful environment that we're in. And then a part of that is let's also look at our own internal narrative if we're experiencing or, to Irma's point, observing behaviours or an organisation or a workplace that is toxic. Let's also uh, name it, write it down and recognise what 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 it actually is. So move beyond polite and superficial. We've talked about the, the absolute criticality of all of us stopping, breathing and thinking about this. And then because when we stop to think, we can then start to say what no longer serves me what may serve me better. If we don't ever get off the hamster wheel, folks, we we won't ever get off the hamster wheel. It's as simple as that. Um, and then we also talked about really what are the things that I need to be on the lookout for, paying attention to. Again, we've got to think about those internal, that internal narrative and also the other people around us. Find your safe others that your colleagues at in your workplace or in a career that soars, this safe place. And we, I, I so value creating a safe place for all of us to land and talk about stuff absolutely in a real way. I'm not going to say authentic. I just did, but because I, I want us to turn up and show up and talk about this stuff. Because when we talk about it, we have we have the ability to find our safe others to help us navigate whatever that next step is. And part of that next step you also talked about, which is how do I make, uh, muster up the courage to leave what harms me? And sometimes, like you, Noah, I have left 
a, a, a marriage that was doing me harm and it was doing other people harm as well. But it took me having a, an other to help me do that, to have the courage to do that. And then finally, and I, and I love that we've closed on what can I do as an ally, as a leader and as an ally. Again, same, same. Let's acknowledge what it is. Let's get around the people that need our help. And sometimes that because of power imbalance, we're not going to be able to challenge the authority that is making the toxic workplace bad, but we can provide protective mechanisms, including that safe space. So much wisdom from all of you, but but Noah, thank you so much wisdom from you. And I and I want to finish with self-compassion. You know, compassion starts at home, friends. And when we can be compassionate to ourselves, it really is a game changer. Uh, Dr. Kirsten Neff does a lot of stuff on self-compassion, which I have, uh, well, I've been a beneficiary of. So I'll put some some other, some tools and things in, in, in the resource links. But Noah, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, generosity, and your compassion to all of us. And also to those of you who may be feeling like, gee whiz, this is me. And I just needed this as a little lifeline to hold on to today. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves. Thanks, folks. I will uh, I will see you all in a career that soars. And, uh, well, um, be nice to yourselves and, of course, be nice to others because we can imagine what good looks like and then make it happen. Thanks, folks. See you later. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com.